0: Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I am the staff pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today. We're continuing our series going through the Old Testament. Following the schedule from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Come Follow Me curriculum, as that entire church, you might know them as the Mormon Church, that entire church is going through the Old Testament this year, and we have made it to the book of Jeremiah. It is mid-October, and we are in the book of Jeremiah. Two weeks in Jeremiah, followed by a week of Ezekiel. One week of Daniel, which I'm noticing on the schedule, it's just Daniel 1 through 6. That doesn't even get to the good stuff in chapters 7 and 9. We'll have to maybe modify that a little bit. And then uh, the Minor Prophets from mid-November to Christmas, and then a special Christmas lesson, okay? So the first week in Jeremiah is where we are this week, and uh, I want to just start by reading the first eight verses of the book of Jeremiah. Let's see how it starts. Jeremiah 1-1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. All right, so a bunch of names and places and stuff mentioned there that's not going to be easily relatable to you, and that's okay. That's something you can go back and look into more if you're interested. But basically, it's just giving time markers of when this oracle, this prophecy took place and and who was speaking, okay? So, Jeremiah says, starting in verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. All right, so um, this is a sweet passage. This is Jeremiah's call. It's the title, uh, chapter heading in my Bible. This is the New American Standard 1995 Bible. Jeremiah's call and commission. And this is how he was called, where God just comes to him. I love the the simplicity of verse 4. All verse 4 says is, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... So, bang, God's there and he's speaking. And he says, the first thing that he says to Jeremiah is, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And that's as far as we're going to get in Jeremiah today, because this is a major verse in Latter-day Saint theology, and it's one of those major differences that evangelicals like me have with Latter-day Saints, in that um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that. Here in verse 5, it's evidence that Jeremiah existed before he came to earth. He was uh, a person who had a relationship with God, who committed actions, who was living um, in a—I don't want to get into too many details because I don't know how far the church goes officially in that. But but he basically lived a life before he came to earth because God has said— Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And I'll show you um, what the the church officially teaches on this. This is uh, from their website on how to teach this passage. And uh, it says here, under Additional Resources, President Russell M. Nelson, the current president of the church, taught this, quote, your spirit is an eternal entity. So I'm just gonna hit the brakes right there. He said, "Your spirit is an eternal entity." So what has happened now, theologically, and it's it's really important that you understand this. What has happened theologically is that Russell Nelson has has gone against the line that Christianity has drawn between creator and creatures. Uh, we see God as the eternal, infinite, yet personal creator of all things. And creatures, by definition, had a starting point and are limited. And so there's a line in between creator and creatures that distinguishes the type of beings that we are. God is eternal. He's eternal creator. Man is limited and finite and he's a creature just like everything else in the world, animals and rocks and trees and everything else that was created by God. Well, in this statement that reflects historic Latter-day Saint theology, Russell Nelson is saying that you as a creature are eternal. You are an eternal entity, I think is what he said. Yeah. Your spirit is an eternal entity. Yeah. Well, that, um, Again, this can't be understated. That is a critical difference, theologically, from Christianity. Um, in, in no sense has, uh, has Christianity or Judaism believed or taught from the Scriptures that creatures had a preexistent, eternal existence with God. It was, just, it was just never taught. Um, now, we do believe, of course, in eternal life. We do believe that those who are redeemed are eternal in the sense that their soul is going to live on from this point forward, but not eternal in the sense of going backwards in history. We've always existed as persons. Uh, don't, don't believe that. Don't teach that. You don't see it in the Scripture. That's just the bottom line. Uh, we agree you know, with the statement made by C.S. Lewis, which is just a great summary statement, you've never met a mere mortal because uh, people are going to spend eternity somewhere. So in that sense, you are an eternal entity. But that is not what is being communicated here from Russell Nelson. That's not what's being communicated from the Mormon Church and their theology. Their theology states, because of their additional scriptures, their their theology states that you've always existed even before God created you here on earth, okay? And uh, I want to show you that here in just a moment, but let's go back to this statement and continue what Russell Nelson taught. Your spirit is an eternal entity. The Lord said to his prophet, Abraham, thou wast chosen before thou's thou wast born. The Lord said something similar about Jeremiah, which we just read in Jeremiah 1.5, And many others. He even said it about you. And then Doctrine and Covenants 138 is cited here. Okay, continuing on with his quote Your heavenly Father has known you for a very long time. You, as his son or daughter, were chosen by him to come to earth at this precise time to be a leader in his great work on earth. You were chosen not for your bodily characteristics, but for your spiritual attributes, such as bravery, courage, integrity of heart, a thirst for truth, a hunger for wisdom, and a desire to serve others. You develop some of these attributes pre-mortally, others you can develop here on earth as you persistently seek them. All right, so he uses this word in the second to last sentence, pre-mortally, uh, sometimes the pre-existence that as taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is referred to as the pre-mortal existence. And here he's saying, not only did you exist, but you were, you were living a life before you came to earth, and you were developing attributes, you were building character, you were active and growing and learning, you were developing attributes pre-mortally. And those attributes include, uh, right here in the sentence before, bravery, courage, integrity of heart, a thirst for truth, a hunger for wisdom, and a desire to serve others. Um, a lot could be said philosophically about that, uh, you know, doing all of those things before Earth even existed. But uh, but we won't go down the philosophical rabbit hole today. But uh, but anyway, that that's a very central teaching of the Mormon Church, and I want to also include, and this might be it's off your screen just a little bit. Uh, over here on the side, I've brought up Abraham 3 from the Pearl of Great Price, one of the uh, standard works for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, their book, Abraham, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, which sheds some more light on what is taught about the premortal existence. It says, Now the Lord had shown unto me Abraham, so Abraham's the one speaking here, the intelligences... That were organized before the world was. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls that they were good, and he stood in the midst of them. And he said, These I will make my rulers, for he stood among those that were spirits. And he saw that they were good. And he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them, thou Wast chosen before thou wast born. So that's a quote that I read earlier in the Russell M. Nelson quote, where he says, "The Lord said to Abraham, Thou wast chosen before thou wast born.'" And it comes from their their book. It's a book that only they use in a religious sense. Jews don't use this book, and Christians don't use this book. Um, Abraham three twenty two and twenty three. You have God standing among the intelligences that were organized or the souls that were disembodied. They had not yet received bodies. And this was happening before the world was created. And he saw that they were good. Uh, There were certain ones that were good. Not all premortal spirits were good. And that's a whole other conversation that we won't get into. But the ones that were good, he stood among them and called them to be leaders. Abraham was one of them. He said, you would be a leader. And so this is critical when we consider Jeremiah 1.5 and how different our interpretations are going to be, because in 1.5, where God says, again, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations, the Latter-day Saint is going to see all of that theology that I just went through from the church's website, they're going to see all of that in Jeremiah 1.5, whereas... People like me are not going to see all of that because we don't believe that passage is teaching that at all. You would have to have additional scriptures and additional influences theologically to see that in that verse. Why do I say that? Uh, because you, you might be a Latter-day Saint or someone who believes in premortal existence, and you might say, well, how how else could you interpret verse five? Because something you'll you know discover, I mean, I see it over and over again in my own life and uh, something that you'll learn more and more as your eyes are aware of this and you're open to this, is that if you're raised with some presuppositions and if you're raised believing certain things, you automatically kind of insert those preconceived notions into places where those notions don't exist because they're preconceived in your mind. It's really easy just to fill in blanks in scripture or whatever the case may be with those notions that, that just aren't there. So, for example, I mean, this is just a really basic way of looking at Jeremiah 1.5 from my perspective. Notice the one-way street that exists in Jeremiah 1.5. God says, before I formed you. All right, so that's critical to see and understand. This is God forming Jeremiah. That's the relationship that they have, Creator, And creature, God creating and forming, Jeremiah is the object of God's creative work here. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God is telling Jeremiah, not that Jeremiah knew him, but that God knew Jeremiah. That's important you won't see here or anywhere else in scripture because you you actually have some verbiage like this from the apostle Paul in uh, Galatians I believe where you know Paul was basically saying he was set apart for his apostleship in Christ uh, by God before he was born but you don't see the language of Paul knew God and had a relationship with God before he came to earth and you don't see that here with Jeremiah you don't you don't see God saying you knew me, and I saw that you were good, and I chose you to be a leader because I could see that you were good in the pre-mortal existence. You don't have that here. You just don't. So you have to stop where the Bible stops if you're interpreting the Bible. Okay, you you can't just insert things from other places and say that, you know, that that's the full meaning. And you you just have to see what the text says. God says, before I formed you, creator formed creature, I knew you, creator knew creature. Okay, And then he goes on, and before you were born, I consecrated you. So again, this is God's action before Jeremiah was born. You don't see any of Jeremiah's actions before Jeremiah was born because Jeremiah didn't exist. There are no actions on Jeremiah's part, it's all God's actions. And you see that in the next verse, too. And I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God is the one doing the appointing here. And so all of the, the action and knowledge is on the part of God in this passage, which, again, may seem super basic, super elementary, uh, but it's also just baseline important to understand uh, that this is how we interpret things. We interpret them on their, own, on their own merits and on their own terms. We don't insert things from other places. At least that's, that's the goal. Um, I want to look up, I don't have the verse off the top of my head, um, where Paul used the same type of language, and it is Galatians. Yeah, Galatians 1, Galatians chapter 1, it looks like 15. Okay. This is where Paul is defending his ministry to the uh, church in Galatia. Yeah, there we go. I'll start in verse 13. So here's how Paul put it. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Okay, so if we stop right there. Um, We need to recognize what Paul is saying, because we're totally switching context from Jeremiah, so I'm sorry I'm throwing you a curveball a little bit. But Paul is saying, um, in my past, I was not a Christian. In my past, as I was living my life, I was very, very zealous for Judaism, and of course, if you know the story of Paul, he was so jealous or zealous for Judaism and passionate about non-Christianity that he persecuted the church, and he was killing Christians. He was involved in killing Christians. And so Paul is just explaining that to the Galatians as he's defend, defending his current Christian ministry. He's taking them back and saying, you know how before, I, when I was living my life, I was not a Christian. So um, how did how did he get to his current ministry of not only being a Christian, but a leader in the church? Well, he goes on to say, verse 15, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that i might preach him among the gentiles i did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but i went away to arabia and returned once more to damascus so he's basically saying how he transitioned from judaism to christianity was god sovereignly interrupted his life and he interrupted his life on the basis Of his choosing, him before he was born, God had set him apart from his mother's womb. Right. So before Paul had done anything good or evil in his flesh, he was chosen and he was set apart. And that's the same kind of language that you see in Romans nine, talking about Jacob and Esau, which is quoting Malachi. Hmm. Now I have to look that up. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I can't say uh, uh, a wrong reference. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I can't let it go. Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. You may have heard that before. And yes, that comes from Malachi. Okay, Whew. feel better. Uh, when I'm just uncertain, I, I, have to, I have to know for sure. All right, so you have in Malachi and then repeated in Romans 9, God saying, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. And in Romans 9, you get the further commentary from Paul who says, before they were born, before they had done anything good or evil, they were chosen. Jacob and Esau were chosen. And so um, you have God's action taking place before people were born. And again, you never see the, the object of God's choosing the object of God's knowing, the object of God's appointing and setting aside as interacting with God before they were born. You don't see that person knowing God or choosing God or living for God before he or he was born or she was born. Every time, you just see actions from God. And actually, it's not just a few cases like this in Scripture, but we see there's a major passage here that opens it up where there are many, many, even... Countless objects of God's action before they were born. And that's in Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 26, Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches, and He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For everybody? Nope. Nope. Not for everybody. Listen to these qualifications. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. There's qualification number one. To those who were called according to his purpose. There's number two. God causes all things to work together for good for people who meet these two qualifications. One, they love God. And two, and these go together, they were called according to his purpose. Two more verses. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So where is the, uh, <clears throat> what could you say? Uh, the action of God before people were born. Where's that in these ver- verses? <clears throat> well, sorry, I've got a, that I've got a I had some acid reflux last night, so I'm coughing more than usual today. Uh, the first place we see it is right here, to those who are called in verse 28. There are certain people who are called, and you don't really get it just from that phrase, but when you take the following verses into account about what that means, you'll, you'll see it more. So, for example, verse 29, um, well, let's, let's go to verse 30. You see that word called come up again. There are certain people that God called. Well, how did he call them, or why did he call them? Right? So here's our, here's our word coming up not only in verse uh, 30, it's started, it starts in verse 28. Okay. How are certain people called? Well, there are certain people, verse 29, that God foreknew. And notice that it's a plural pronoun, for those whom God foreknew, not a single individual. If you read the Joseph Smith translation on this passage, he actually d- ignores the, all the manuscripts that we have, all the Greek manuscripts that we have that refer to this passage and um, are copies of this passage, that all include um, plural pronouns here. There are those whom God foreknew. Joseph Smith says that there was only one whom God foreknew, and he makes this about Jesus. But this passage isn't about Jesus. This passage is about those who are called. And it says in verse 29 that there are multiple people that God has called, and he has foreknown them. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. So both of these words, foreknew and predestined, have to do with past, have to do before, with before people were born. Okay, And again, you're seeing just a one-way relationship here. God foreknowing, God predestining. You don't see people knowing God before they were born or people you know, choosing to live for God before they were born. It's one way. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then he goes on. These, well, let me make a note real quick before we go to verse 30. If you're going to see verse 29, this about Jesus, for him whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, it gets very confusing because the people that God has foreknown and the people that God is predestining, the whole point is that they would be conformed conformed to Jesus. So this passage can't be about Jesus being set apart by God. This is about people being set apart by God to become like Jesus. Okay, so just a quick kind of basic interpretive note there. So verse 30, these, again, plural pronoun, these whom God predestined, he also called... Right, and now we're getting we're going from before they were born into time now. So before they were born, they were predestined, and he also called them, and those whom he called, he also justified. That happens in their their life on earth, in their existence. That when they believe in Christ, whenever they express faith in the gospel, they are justified. That's Romans five one. Uh, Therefore, we have peace with God, having been justified by faith. That happens in life. So we've gone from being predestined before you were born to now we're in life. Those people were justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And glorification is actually yet future, but you see it in the past tense here, because this chain is so interlocked together that the glorification of those who believe in Jesus, it's so set it's so certain because it's rooted in God's activity before the world was. It's rooted in God's foreknowledge. It's rooted in God's predestination. And so we can talk about glorification in this certain way that those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so all of this is happening to a certain group of individuals out of the whole of humanity. There's a group that have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, Glorified in the program of God. And so, going back to this idea that we have in Jeremiah 1 5 about Jeremiah being set apart, this doesn't have to do with some kind of relationship that Jeremiah and God had in the pre mortal existence that the Bible never talks about. It has to do with God's redemptive plan and his sovereign choice of Jeremiah before Jeremiah was born. Uh, he, God, of course, knew Jeremiah would be born. God is the one who creates souls, and, and God has perfect knowledge of all things. And so he has organized his redemptive plan in such a way that Jeremiah would be a prophet even before Jeremiah was born. It's just so absolutely certain uh, in God's program. And so that's what's happening in Jeremiah 1, and we see that reflected in uh, Romans chapter 8. Now, because I mentioned the uh, Joseph Smith translation on Romans 8, I uh, I feel like I should show you what he did to that passage. I have it bookmarked um, in my browser, the Joseph Smith Translation, and over here on the side, which you won't be able to really see if you're watching along because the screen cuts it off, um, but you can select the book. So Joseph Smith Translation, I just clicked Romans, then opened it up, and I'm going to go down to Romans 8. And so here it is. Um, he adjusted Romans 8, 8, and then Romans eight twenty nine through 30. And listen to how he translated this passage, not based on any actual Greek manuscripts, but based on, you know, what he thought God was telling him to write, to correct the Bible. He wrote, for Romans eight twenty nine, "...for him whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to his own image, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." verse 30, moreover, him whom he did predestinate, him he also called, and him whom he called, he also sanctified. So he changed justified to sanctified, because why would Jesus need to be justified, right? And him whom he sanctified, he also glorified. So that's a pretty major change, not based on any Greek text, not based on any disputed copies of the New Testament throughout history, but based on what appears to me, to be Joseph Smith adjusting the Bible to fit the theology he was seeking to teach about the preexistence and to effectively change what the Bible says about God's sovereignty too because, of course, agency is extremely important in the Latter-day Saint theological system and uh, Romans 8 kind of steps on the toes of some of those preconceived notions about man's freedom, doesn't it? And so Joseph Smith changed that passage and uh, changed it to that. So, um, I hope that gives a a fuller picture of what's going on in the uh, Book of Jeremiah. Because if you're LDS or you're raised LDS, I'm sure you have these preconceived notions about the preexistence. But you have to challenge those when it comes to reading the Bible. You can't ever just assume that yeah, the Bible agrees with me in all my presuppositions. You have to let the Bible challenge your presuppositions, and I. I can testify that it's so extremely difficult. I'm not sitting here saying, I do that perfectly. It is so difficult for each one of us. But what we can do is just submit ourselves to whatever the Bible says. We can come to Scripture saying, this has the authority. I don't have the authority. The Word of God has the authority, and I just want to know what it says. And so you let it speak for itself, and you don't insert any of your own thoughts. That's that's the goal. Well, thanks for coming along this uh, little ride with me today, looking at uh, what it means to be set apart and chosen by God. And uh, I hope that was helpful. Next week, we're going to talk about the New Covenant from Jeremiah. And uh, then again, after that, to finish out October, we'll look at the book of Ezekiel, just one week for Ezekiel, a 47-chapter book. Crazy. All right. Thanks for joining me. God bless.